This is the MedTech True Quality Stories podcast. Each week, we embark on a new storytelling journey with different MedTech executives as they share real-world, actionable best practices for medical device leaders. You'll gain invaluable insights into how these industry pioneers are successfully imagining, implementing, and improving true quality medical devices. Now here's your host, John Spear, founder and vice president of quality assurance and regulatory affairs at Greenlight Guru. On this episode of MedTech True Quality Stories, I had an opportunity to talk with a team from Kios Medical, K-O-I-O-S medical.com. Check it out. They have a really interesting tagline on their website. They put the AI in ultrasound and I get to talk to Chad McLennan, CEO, Graham Anderson, COO, CFO, and Patricia Setti Leperch, Director of Regulatory Compliance and Quality Owl. One of the, the quotes in this podcast that I jotted down that I really loved is when Patricia said, culture of quality piece is non-optional. So really innovative company doing some really exciting things in the AI space. And, you know, I think we're just at the, the tip of the iceberg with how this and, and their technology uh, can be leveraged as a platform technology in a lot of ultrasound applications. So I hope you enjoy this episode of MedTech True Quality Stories. Hello and welcome to another awesome episode of MedTech True Quality Stories. This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Pretty excited about today's story. Uh, we'll have a, a really cool company doing some really amazing things in the med device space. The company is Kios Medical, K-O-I-O-S, and you can check them out at koiosmedical.com. With me, I'm, I'm really thrilled and honored to have well, a team from the Kios. I have Chad McLennan. Chad is the CEO. I've got Graham Anderson. Graham is the the COO, CFO, and I have Patricia Setti Leperch. And Patricia is the Director of Regulatory Compliance and Quality Owl. So, Chad, Graham, Patricia, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much, John. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're welcome. So recently, uh, you know, we've been working with with your team now for a little bit, and excited uh, to be a part, a small part of your journey, and bringing new exciting technologies to the market. And uh, I know recently you had some regulatory success, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. But Chad, I, was, I thought maybe you could start a little bit with sharing the Kios medical origin story. You know, the why behind the company, and, and what are the clinical issues that that you're addressing? Sure. Happy to. So, yeah, and thank you for spelling out the name. So, Kios is a, a Titan God. That's the Titan God of wisdom, foresight, and intellect. But it also defines the you know, overnight success that was 12 years in the making. So, we've been at this for quite some time, even though you've just maybe now just recently heard about us through our FDA clearance and some of the press releases that we're getting. But our engineers, when I say this was 12 years in the making, they began using artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms to do face recognition work on the behalf of the U.S. defense contractor. And after success doing that for several years, they pivoted and said, where else could we adapt some of these technologies to do even more global good? And 
So those of us even that aren't in the medical field, when we've gotten an x-ray or sometimes an ultrasound, there's those grayscale images that are really hard to figure out what the heck is going on. And so if it's a bone on an x-ray, that's one thing, but soft tissue and other parts of the body seem to lend themselves really, really well to the type of work that we were doing and to help a physician to be that second set of eyes to determine whether something is suspicious, uh, malignant, or benign and nothing to worry about. So the genesis was taking that same technology and that same expertise and applying it to ultrasound images. And we now have clearance to assist physicians that are looking at suspicious breast lesions to help catch breast cancer early and to help improve treatment and survival as well as reduce unnecessary biopsies or avoidable biopsies. And we've applied this now to thyroid and thyroid nodules, and we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, I mean, tell me a little bit about the the competitive landscape. I mean, and how did this, what was the, I guess, this path and, you know, what what is the, you know, the big why, why now, why this market and those sorts of things. Can you maybe elaborate on that just a little bit? Sure, sure. The, the why now is, um, is, is what a lot of us are seeing and reading. It's kind of this convergence of a ton of medical data and now the ability with GPUs to process it extremely quickly and the availability of a lot of other solutions that are out there. And we've been able to create an ensemble of algorithms that are crunching hundreds of thousands of images and doing it you know, in seconds or hours and not days or weeks like it wow. used to be. So. AI has been around for a long time, uh, you know, initially coined back in the, in the 50s, and it dates back even prior to that. But it's only been recently that the computing power has allowed the massive amounts of data to become usable in a practical sense. So that's so, why the, competi- the competitive setting, everyone says, oh, it's really competitive. There's a lot of AI going on. But when you zoom in, there's so many different applications, and we just happen to have one that's fairly novel in ultrasound and in breast cancer diagnosis and treatment. And we're very early to this space. We expect that there will be other competitors or, or countries, but we're doing you know everything we can to maintain the lead that we have today. Awesome. I mean, I, I love what your website says. You put the AI in ultrasound. So, uh, and you're right. I mean, AI is, is sort of, uh, it, it feels like this, I don't know, this, this, uh, uh, I, dare I say fad, it seems to be on it everywhere, not just a med device, but every time you uh, watch television and you see a commercial, there's all these things talking about AI. And and uh, I think it's important to distinguish you know, the, what truly AI is all about. And I, I'm glad you elaborated a little bit on that and how the Kios medical technology is actually crunching all this, this, these images and all these files and all this data and, and giving the clinician useful information, really, really important. Well, we started, we started asking customers, physicians, you know, where, where do they see the application? You know, there's that big, massive universe of opportunities of things that you could do, but a select few things that you should do. And with an ear to the ground in talking to physicians and our medical advisors, they've pointed us towards building an extremely efficient and expedient processing engine and the software around it to make physicians not just slightly better, or in some cases, significantly better from an accuracy perspective, everyone gets more efficient. And we're taking keystrokes out of the diagnostic 
workflow and trying to make them comfortable using a software that they've never used before that they look back at and wonder, you know, where have you been all my life? <laughs> I love that. And, and it's actually kind of a good segue into what I wanted to explore a little bit with Graham. I mean, you start with the, the, the voice of the user or the user stories or the user needs or whatever, however you define that. And that was your, your ultimate input into your overall design and development process. So I guess, Graham, can you maybe talk a little bit about that transition of hearing all of the, this feedback from the users and trying to, to synthesize that in a way that, that gave you clear direction from a development standpoint? Sure. Thank you very much, John. Well, we view design and development challenges and obstacles as opportunities on the path to clearance and commercialization. And we have really defined these in three different areas. The first is behavioral. The second is technical. And the third is financial. And you have to really address all of them if you're going to have a successful product in the market. On the behavioral side, our initial impetus has been to get physicians to change their behavior without having any type of incentive or mandate. There isn't a regulation mandating that physicians adopt our software. Uh, And that's a challenge with getting any new technology adopted in in med tech. Uh, And this is especially a challenge with AI. We also face a unique challenge in our market in that the AI ML output that we had had to align with a classification scheme that was the industry standard. And so we had to work within a framework that already existed. And we had to do this in all in under two seconds because their uh, radiologists need a very quick answer. They have a severe time crunch in the reading rooms and in the exam rooms. And then finally, we had to make what is a, an AI and ML always suffers from this issue, is make a black box system more of a gray box. So we went out and, and tried to figure out how we would demonstrate the confidence level that we had in in our suggested diagnosis and our suggested output and some of the reasons why our AI ML system came up up with the suggested diagnosis that it had chosen. So that was how we really tried to deal with the behavioral challenges that we faced in the market. And the second was technical. We had to adapt to existing image storing systems that were already in use and had been in use for decades at a variety of institutions. And these could be um, you know, within a hospital system or within a, uh, a regional clinic or a specific breast center. And we needed to basically create what would become a plug-in app that would be available when and where the physicians wanted it. It could be used in the reading room if they wanted to see it there on the scanner if they wanted to see it there, and also within in the viewers uh, where they are doing their actual work. This wasn't an easy uh, undertaking for us to do, but once we built out that plugin for each image storage system, you know, it would then be usable for the next customer and so on and so on. And so we've had to deal with this efficient replication across a variety of platforms, which has been a very good thing to use with uh, uh, Greenlight Guru and very helpful in being able to manage this uh, internally. So we designed one for each platform and we managed it in the cloud uh, with Greenlight Guru. Oh, wow. Finally, and this may be the biggest challenge, shot financial. Uh, and a CFO is something that I you know, face every day and think about all the time. Uh, and Chad does certainly on the sales side as well. But who pays for AIML? And we're in the process of resolving that issue. Haven't done it yet, but we're in the process of getting there and working on healthcare economics to determine how, this is, how the benefit that's going to accrue 
both to the um, physicians and to the payers and ultimately to the patients is divided up to determine who pays what, ultimately to you know, get reimbursement as well. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point that I think sometimes uh, gets lost in the, the quest of getting a new product to market. I mean, certainly um, we, we're all faced with design and development challenges. Uh, certainly sounds like you've had your fair share uh, opportunities, as you say. Um, but, you know, you can get through all of those things. And if you don't figure out who's going to pay for your product, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, you still got a, a big challenge to address. So, so um, I, I guess any tips for those listening on, on how to, you know, not just the design and development side of things, but the whole reimbursement and the payer side. I mean, that, that's a big thing. I mean, what, what did you guys do that, that you think is important for others to, to take home and, and explore and, and dive into for their products? I'll, I'll jump in on that one. We're in interest of full disclosure, we, we aren't yet reimbursed. However, we're on a pathway. But that being said, like any product, you have to start with proving your value. And literally, you know, I'm taking this call down the street from a hospital customer where we are in there observing on a regular basis how we help. And it might not be anything related to our AI engine. It might be the software wrapper around it that helps us automatically export findings into their reporting system. But if we make... The, you know, the pain points that customers have, something that our solution is maniacally focused on making better, and both sides win, that's value, and the economics will work themselves out. And, you know, the reimbursement path is a long one. So if, if we had all the eggs in that basket, it would be a much riskier proposition than trying to find ways to add value along the way and monetize and commercialize, you know, based on specific functions and features that customers have helped us prioritize as need to have, not just nice to have. Yeah. Okay. That makes, it's good advice. Um, folks, I want to remind you, I'm talking uh, with the team from Kios Medical, K-O-I-O-S medical.com, talking uh, about their um, recent successes and, and sort of their advice and tips and pointers to get through some of these challenges with innovative, exciting products uh, that are go going to impact the medical device industry in a big way. You know, Graham mentioned that they've been using the Greenlight platform and that the Greenlight platform has been an asset to helping them along this journey. So if, if you're, you know, a medical device company with your own design and development, uh, whether you, you've done this before or whether you're brand new, I would encourage you to go check out what we're doing at Greenlight Guru. Go to www.greenlight.guru. We've built the only EQMS platform in the world designed specifically and exclusively for the medical device industry that has been designed by actual medical device professionals. So go check that out. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about this, this regulatory challenge and specifically start to segue into talking a little bit about the leading up to the 510K submission and clearance and all those sorts of things. And I know that like recently FDA has come out with uh, some guidance on AI and machine learning and that sort of thing. So I guess I'll leave this kind of open to, I don't know if this is Graham or Patricia or maybe both, but can you talk about some of the those regulatory challenges? I mean, because I know FDA is trying to be progressive with things like AI and machine learning, but there's not a huge body of knowledge or a huge 
uh, uh, history of companies that have been successful navigating this. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, as you're designing and developing the product, uh, you, you also have to keep that, that regulatory pathway in mind. So talk a little bit about uh, your approaches with that. Thank you, John. I'll, I'll start, then I'll let Patricia take over. You can never budget too much time or too much money to this process. And I think that that was one of the initial takeaways that we had from this was being very careful to budget that sufficient time and resources to what is a rigorous and highly detailed process. One of the things we had in our favor was going early to FDA with pre-submissions to identify the issues and outline the pathway that ultimately led to you know, the first 510K approved in this class. And CDRH was incredibly helpful uh, and very supportive throughout the entire process. They had a very large group uh, involved in this from a variety of different disciplines to address the issues you talk about. This is something new. It's something they don't see every day. And so bringing together that amalgamation of individuals with different skill sets was extraordinarily helpful. A lot of product complexity that required addressing several elements simultaneously. We were an AI engine. Uh, we have a viewer, we have an interesting user interface. And so uh, we were very patient throughout this process uh, with attention to detail being very paramount and really appreciate the collaborative efforts uh, that we've had with FDA throughout the entire journey. Before you chime in, Patricia, I just want to add to folks, leverage the, the pre-submission pathway. I know if you've been in this industry for, for as long as I have, sometimes you may have this negative view or connotation of regulatory bodies and FDA and that sort of thing. Um, we're dealing with, uh, uh, specifically with FDA, an agency that is very, very interested in collaborating with industry. And that pre-submission vehicle is an excellent tool that, that I think many of you should consider, especially if you're developing something that, that does have some novelty and, and some innovation and some unique characteristics about it. Pre-submission is a great pass. So thanks for, for mentioning that, Graham. And go ahead, Patricia. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no worries. I think just to, to add to what Graham has mentioned already, really the collaboration piece with FDA has been, uh, I think, just fabulous to watch in, in, in action. And as from an industry perspective as well, you know, we see new guidance coming out all the time. And in this particular space, getting to an algorithm that could be continuously learning um, and, and kind of how to just sort of reframe the entire paradigm to, to make that possible is just fascinating. So I, I think FDA has very much been leading the path to try to innovate in partnership with industry. So it's, it's just so cool to be a part of that and kind of see it uh, unfold and have uh, uh, some say in how that happens. And, and Patricia, I'm curious, I mean, I, the um, machine learning, AI uh, approaches and guidance at FDA. I mean, there is, you, you talked about the continuous learning aspects of your AI product. What challenges or obstacles or to use Graham's word, opportunities do you see as you get your product in use uh, in the market? How do you see that playing out from, from a change management perspective with respect to the, the regulatory ramifications? 
So just to clarify, we, we're um, in a static release uh, at the moment. Um, that that's stepwise. You know, kind of we're going through the traditional route. Um, but clearly, for from uh, a patient perspective and kind of getting to that next generation, uh, we'd love to to see us advance in that realm. Uh, so it's it's not an immediate focus for us uh, at at the moment, but it's certainly something that uh, we've got on the table. So kind of the change management as well as um, kind of reframing the 510k process, right? Because you're not um, in theory going to be submitting a new 510k for uh, those um, additions to the algorithm uh, to help train uh, the pathway that uh, FDA has has set out, at least in, in theory and in a very early concept, uh, is that we would have uh, some, some method uh, to... S- sort of like the pre-cert, right? Um, have a process that is vetted in order to uh, get that sort of company uh, check mark, if you will, as to how that's done, and then uh, you know, kind of have that alternative to not use the traditional 510k method. Yeah, did uh, Kios uh, go through the the pre-cert program? No, we we are not uh, part of the pilot participants, but it's yeah. something we've been watching uh, very keenly. Yeah, and folks, uh, I will say that the pay attention, especially if you're in uh, software as a med device space, there, there are some exciting new programs. That, to Patricia's point, they're still in pilot, but the one that, that you should be paying attention to is the it's from the digital health group at FDA. It's called the pre-certification program. Um, they they actually have a call to action. They're they're requesting others to participate in the, the pilot. So uh, we'll provide a link to that and the the text that accompanies this podcast, but something to explore as well. And I, I think, Patricia, yeah, at least my way of, of thinking about it, I was having a conversation recently with a colleague and, and we were talking about, you know, regulatory strategy. You know, it's, it's, there's one approach to develop a regulatory strategy while you're still in early stage development but you have to think about the the whole paradigm, the whole life cycle, if you will. You have to think about you know downstream where you want to be, as well, and and that that regulatory strategy has to factor into the whole design and development. So, any thoughts or tips or advice on on how to look at the big picture regulatory framework and and how that factors into not just design and development but commercialization of a technology? Yeah. So maybe um, kind of taking even a larger picture approach to this one in terms of, you know, kind of culture kill strategy from that perspective. I think uh, where when you've been around the block a little bit in the regulatory and quality space, it really is that culture of quality piece that I think is is non-optional. You know, when you've seen processes and, and systems fail and you've seen things go wrong at companies, um, it's, it's not about, you know, writing up a quality policy to frame on the wall, um, especially uh, in this space where our mission is to improve decision making for diagnosing cancer, right? We, it's, it's hard to not have a personal investment there. It's hard to not, uh, you know, know the patient side and kind of have friends, family or yourself that's gone through it. Um, so I, I think it really starts with, with that as the foundation to everything else. And, you know, the, the regulatory strategy sort of flows from there, I think, to Graham's point, really getting back to that interface with FDA, where you have a dialogue and, and you take advantage of 
the op- the opportunity. Um, it's it's something that it kind of boggles your mind that more companies don't do. Um, the FDA has been incredibly forthcoming and has worked incredibly hard to be a partner for innovation. Awesome. Something else Graham had mentioned about you know budgeting sufficient time and resources, and you were mentioning the regulatory strategy thinking longer term, bigger picture tangible example, our initial iteration of the product was primarily reading room centric connected to the viewer. But with our ear to the ground and out working with physician customers and advisors, we realized the opportunity in the marketplace that the physician was requesting was to not just have it in the reading room, but actually extend it into the exam room and be resident on the actual ultrasound scanner. So that influenced our regulatory strategy, caused us to slow down a little bit. Another meeting with the FDA and and making sure that everything we did gave us that flexibility to be available on and off scanner rather than just being a reading room centric technology. That paves the way internationally as well. So I thought I just weave in that one example of how listening and getting that customer requirement wove its way all the way into our approach to the regulatory side. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned that, Chad, and, and I, uh, I'm speculating that, that the way you described it, that that wasn't necessarily uh, a user story that maybe factored into the initial development, but as you design, develop, uh, you get that feedback you iterated in a way that allowed you to, to continually evolve your product and technology. And, and I love that, that it's, you're listening to that voice of the user, that voice of the clinician, so that your product can have the most tangible value, not only to them, but the patients as well. So that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Graham, I, you know, this next topic is, is one that, that, well, I don't know if it's sensitive or not. Maybe I'm oversensitized to it, but I think sometimes software as a med device companies, SAMD companies, SAMD companies, uh, they, um, they maybe look at regulation as, uh, I'll say, an impediment to, to their development. And, and uh, I don't know if you can compare and contrast SAMD, agile methodologies with respect to regulation, if you have any thoughts around that. I think that it, uh, quality actually makes us better. And one of the things we've looked at is how to fit the framework that Greenlight Guru has put out into how we're developing this from the agile side. And so it has been initially a challenge, but also an opportunity for us to get better as we're working with Greenlight Guru and integrating our, our work in JIRA into uh, your platform, which you guys uh, enable us. It's been very, very helpful for us and has made us iterate better and better and better with each of the sprints that we're working on. So it's been very helpful to have this framework uh, that Greenlight Guru provides to be able to work in that method. And that's, we think that's been you know, very, very helpful for us. And one thing I would also add, uh, just in terms of kind of the, the SOP side of things, if you will, in continuously enhancing the, the quality management system and looking at, you know, kind of how to overlay waterfall with agile. It's, it's sort of this age old debate. Right. But um, from an FDA perspective and, and really what we've seen in terms of all of the global standards that that seek to get the best practice around the spaces 
you know, you, you've got to kind of make that overlay happen and kind of have the phase gates and the, the stop start aspect to locking in uh, your acceptance criteria and getting to final validation or verification of either that unit or the, the overall system, et cetera. So it, it's, it's really in the weeds, but kind of taking the time to figure out exactly how you're going to execute on the design and development process, kind of building that along with the functionality that Greenlight offers and the, the ability to kind of lock in certain states and then design review again afterwards when they're changed. It's huge. And the, the ability to t- draw the linkages to all of the outputs uh, that align to the uh, inputs and have that dynamic change, but as well have the, the saved state, if you will, of the d- design history file at whatever moment in time you need it. So, you know, kind of figuring out how to integrate all of that is is time consuming, of course, kind of figuring out roles, responsibilities, who does what, you know, what does my signature mean? Am I a part of that decision? Am I not? But once you get it right in the, uh, in the procedure, uh, then you execute and, and you go. So it's, it's definitely been a, a huge tool to, to help us get there. It would be virtually impossible for us to do this outside of a cloud-based system for a company of our size. Oh, wow. I mean, it, I think that, that we're in a, an era where, you know, uh, that it's a little bit, um, at least from my interpretation of things, it's a little bit muddy or cloudy or a little bit gray because we are at a point where, you know, you've got, quote, traditional medical device and uh, traditional regulatory frameworks or perceptions of what are traditional regulatory frameworks uh, running uh, head full steam ahead into more agile types of methodologies. And and I, I think sometimes uh, there's a misconception. I think I, I've heard this from, from other SAMD companies that they'll say, oh, well, you know, the regulatory framework just doesn't work for us. And, you know, FDA and other regulatory re- bodies that they require waterfall methodology and we're agile and these sorts of things. So this just isn't going to work for us. I mean, for somebody that maybe has that point of view, what would you say? I think it's hard to kind of take the approach of, you know, the decades of regulatory framework don't work for us, right? When you look at failures in, in real life, um, you, they often trace back to design and they often implicate software. So, so you know, you can't kind of make the case that you, you figured out a, a way to do it better than the entire industry has figured out over decades. So I think to some extent, you know, you, you kind of ha- find that middle ground and, and you figure out uh, how to go through your agile loops and um, iterate and, and go full speed, but then kind of take it back to what, what you need to do in terms of acceptance criteria and ensuring that you've got the appropriate stepwise progression through, you know, did I verify what I thought I was going to verify or do I need to go back and change, you know, what my design input was or get more specific, right? That happens very often that, you know, you think you had it locked in, but actually you needed to add more detail. Yeah. Just kind of figuring out, how to to kind of come halfway into the framework and recognize that the process is there for a reason. It's it's there to help us get better and to avoid mistakes uh, down the road. 
Yeah, I love that. And and folks, I want you to, to take this home with you as you're listening to this podcast. The, your development framework, frankly, your, your SOP and your quality system framework it needs to work for you. You shouldn't be working for it. Uh, there is a lot of, of uh, flexibility, frankly, that, that you can employ in your business by uh, making sure that, that your SOPs, your design and development approach, that, that they are uh, in tune with how you actually conduct business. And it's okay to use an agile methodology on your SOPs and on your quality system. You can iterate and, and, and make sure that you're fine-tuning those, those different processes and procedures to work for you. Chad, I thought uh, to wrap up this episode of MedTech True Quality Stories, I, I thought it would be awesome to, to hear uh, what next steps are in store for Kios Medical and if there's anything else that I, Greenlight Guru, or the listening audience can do to help you in your journey. Wow, that's quite an offer and an ask. Let me think about what you guys could offer. I'll answer the first question in terms of what's next. That's actually an easy one because the vast majority of the time when we're out working with physicians, showcasing you know, our approach and to be very extremely focused, you know, maniacally committed to the intersection of one type of disease, breast cancer, with the intersection with one modality, ultrasound. They immediately say, oh my gosh, they can put themselves in the future. They can see it helping them. And then they start asking, what about thyroid? What about, and they start filling in the blank. So the approach we've taken, whether it be quality systems, regulatory, design, product development, data acquisition, is all about building a foundation so we can address some of these other disease states. So those are things that are coming next. They're in our labs right now and under development. So look to more of that in the future as we expand on solutions that patients need and and physicians will find valuable. I was just on a call earlier today about pancreatic cancer. Um, There's just uh, unfortunately too much of an opportunity to help, but our goal is to do what we can. Um, how can the listening audience help? Uh, none of us is as smart as all of us. So we're open to input and suggestions. Happy to share. This is such a massive opportunity. You know, all the boats are going to rise with the tide. When I mentioned the, the lack of competition in ultrasound, um, there will be, and there will be folks developing ultrasound algorithms for other parts of the body that we could partner with. So we're just so, so early in this market, applying this, you know, like I said, it's been around since the fifties, but now just getting traction. And it's going to be funny to listen to this podcast in a couple of years. We describe our product as our high school prom picture. <laughs> you look at it, you look at it six months later and you wince. Hopefully we'll say the same thing about this conversation, but thanks, John. We appreciate uh, everything you've been doing to help us out. Oh, ab- absolutely. And certainly uh, folks, uh, spread the word. Uh, you know, share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Uh, and you know, to kind of wrap things up, I want to thank the team from Kios, Chad McLennan, CEO, Graham Anderson, the CFO, COO, and Patricia Setti Laperch. Patricia is Director of Regulatory Compliance and the Quality Owl. So thank you all for participating in this episode of MedTech True Quality Stories. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you very much, John. All right, folks. um, As you've been listening to MedTech True Quality Stories, 
wherever you're listening to this episode, you can also find the other podcast from Greenlight Guru, the Global Medical Device Podcast. So be sure to, to share this with your friends. Give us uh, a like, submit a comment. Let us know what kind of stories you'd like to hear. But appreciate you listening. And uh, as always, this is your host, founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And you have been listening to MedTech True Quality Stories. Mm-hmm.